0: So, Patty, today we had a really interesting topic about micro merchant accounts and kind of are they worth it? And the answer is yes, they are. Yes,
1: they are. And, you know, that's been one of my favorite topics. I was so happy when we got Dustin signed up for this interview because he's really figured it out. You know, he has a roadmap that works. Uh, He has an offering that, you know, is palatable. You know, it's something that will compete with the squares of the world. So yeah. I think everybody's going to get a lot out of that interview. And then I think your, um, your question from the field this week was really on point. You want to explain a little bit
0: about that? Uh, yeah. So I've had several interactions lately with some friends of mine in the industry that are successfully targeting specific verticals. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of agents are nervous about that. Like, oh, I don't know if I could sure. do that, which All I understand. Yeah. And so I just present kind of a phased approach of like, you know the practical steps of like how do you start focusing on a vertical and how do you prepare for that and implement it and so that's what i talk about today and then uh patty had some really interesting data for us today in the insider's report
1: yeah it was a um a ranking customer satisfaction rankings uh, from jd power on uh, payment processors right i don't think there's any big surprises as we discussed But it's really interesting to see that, you know, J.D. Power, I always think of as, you know, rating automobiles. Right. Right. Um, Right. And the fact that they're really taking a fine focus. And I I spoke with the people there and they have people running this practice who have been in merchant services for 20 or 30 years. So they know what they're talking about. And I think people will find some, you know, find that helpful.
0: Yeah, I mean, pr- probably the uh, the most interesting thing there, uh, surprising thing, was just that the whole industry has you know moved in a, really in a moved good the, direction. Yeah, really, so. really moved yeah. the
1: needle. And well, our our podcast this week is uh, sponsored by Valor Paytech. Um, You know, it'd be great. Do James and I a favor? Go to the uh, go to ccsalespro dot com slash valor. Sign up for a demo if you haven't done it already. I'm amazed. I'd be amazed if everybody listening has not done it, but. Just in case we've got some newbies, go check it out.
0: Yep, absolutely. Good stuff. Well, let's dive into this interview with Dustin. I'm ready if you are, Patty. I am too. Let's go.
2: Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast.
0: Hey, everybody. Patty and I are here today with Dustin Magaziner. Dustin is the managing partner at PayBright. How are you doing today, Dustin? Good. How are you? Thanks for having me here.
1: Oh, great absolutely. to see you.
0: So we have a really interesting, uh, maybe even controversial topic today that I'm so excited to cover. Uh, Dustin and I talked about the other day on the the phone and we're like, man, we've got to do a podcast about this. So we're talking about micro merchant accounts. And as you know, Dustin, right off the bat, when I say that, you know, many in our audience are saying, wait a minute, micro merchant accounts, we don't sell merchants under 5,000 in volume or 3,000 or whatever. So I guess my first question, since you've been here many times, I think people know your story. You know, tell us why our audience should even care about this. What micro merchants, why should they care about this topic?
3: Yeah. So, I mean, first, you know, I, I find it funny, right? Everyone defines micro merchant differently. Yes. I've heard some define it as under 10,000 a month. Some define it, of course, five or, or less and, and everywhere in between. Um, wherever you define it, I think that's, you know, individual. But to us, micro merchants are a huge part of the industry. Um, Square, you know, was founded and built upon micro merchants and look at where they are now. Right. Um, to us, micro merchants are just a whole segment of the you know industry that are oftentimes overlooked. These are merchants that are potentially going to grow. They're going right. to prefer. Um, again, I think you can look at Square and what they've been able to build on a very large scale, but they, they leverage the relationships with micro merchants to build a portfolio, a company of much more than micro merchants. And I think right. for dependent agents and salespeople, they can do the same thing. In their local oh. communities and with people they know so micro merchants are to us not something to be overlooked
0: yeah I, I love it and so i love that you brought up square because of course i want to start the conversation there so yeah. we have to talk about square i mean micro merchants that's kind of their claim to fame you can't right? talk
1: about my micro merchants <laughs> without bringing
0: up Square, right.
3: really yeah they're almost one and the same
0: so so dustin when we t- when you think about square and i want to think about the merchant experience though you know why are merchants going to Square right now that are, that you mentioned like new businesses and things like that? So, talk about the experience that they're getting with Square today and
3: kind of why that's so prevalent with these micro merchants. So, so funny enough, I, I think a lot of them are going to Square because people in our industry, people that are probably listening to this podcast at times tell them to. Yes. I can't tell you how often I talk to an agent or a prospective agent, and they literally tell me that they refer merchants to Square when they're under $5,000 a month. Oh, you're too small for me and my company. Wow. Should you should use Square until you get to $10,000 a month and then call me. And that's just a dagger to the heart, right? Because right. when that merchant's doing ten dollars or $20,000 a month, you know what they have? They have Square payroll yeah. and a Square loan and Square POS and everything else that Square integrates. And they're used to it and their staff is used to it. And good luck getting them to switch. It's a much harder sale then than it was six months ago or a year ago. Um, But overall, you asked, why would somebody maybe want to look at a different program as opposed to Square that's smaller? And I think it's the same answer as any other merchant, right? Pricing, service, shopping local and and using a local person. Mm -hmm. Um, All of the reasons that any merchant level salesperson is selling to a local business today I think it's the right. same, just with a you know potentially smaller merchant or a startup business.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. And and but you know, I mean, it does, as James mentioned. I mean, there's been you know, ISOs and agents have struggled for a while with this whole topic. And I'm wondering if you could maybe elucidate for our audience what some of the pain points are, um, and and what PayBright is doing to address these issues.
3: Yeah, so I I think you know the pain points that agents face oftentimes is they don't really have a great solution for these merchants, right? Right. Typically they have monthly costs, they have PCI, they have all of these, you know, just monthly costs, 10, 20, 30, heck, sometimes 40 or $50 a month. And don't even get me started with some of these companies charging, you know, annual fees and $125 monthly non-compliance fees. It gets ridiculous. The the smaller the merchant is, the more painful that Mm -hmm. becomes. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of people in this industry don't have a good solution for these merchants where they can set them up in a kind of pay as you go model or a no mm-hmm. monthly fee approach. And I think that's for these smaller merchants, especially just in the past, right? So that's here at PayBright, what we do is we, we set them up on a, a program where we don't charge any monthly fees whatsoever. It's truly a pay as you go type model for these merchants. And if they don't process, they don't pay. And more importantly, the sales partner isn't going negative. Because I think that's the trade-off that oftentimes happen is they have a schedule A cost, Right, and they don't really have a solution for these merchants where someone isn't paying for it, and so right. I think that's oftentimes the problem they face.
1: So what you're saying then is really like, um, you know, to, to to get rid of some of these, for better lack of a better term, nuisance fees, right? <laughs> <laughs>
3: when, when dealing with um, small merchants, I think so. Yeah, especially. I mean, with the
1: small merchants, it's pretty much a, 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 you know nuisance fee. So how do you, if you, if I was an ISO or an agent? what would be how would you what would be your advice for how i should be competing with square how should i go after these merchants
3: so i think you go after them just like anyone else right networking cold calling knocking on doors if you're making phone calls over the phone that that's obviously a solution so i think the solution or the strategy for tackling these merchants is, is the same for everyone else i think the difference is so many agents you know tell these merchants sorry, I don't have a solution for you, where they literally walk out the door and, and don't go back because they're yeah. too small. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the mistake. Um, look, when I was out selling, I had family members who owned you know, small businesses, a, a small hair salon, for example, where mm-hmm. at the time when we didn't have a great solution for this, I literally said, you square, it's better for you than anything I can offer. Now, of course, they're with us today. But that's a crazy answer for somebody who's in merchant services, that you're going or to shop. say literally that you don't have a solution for somebody that's a family member, a friend, right. somebody that's wanting to refer you business from a networking meeting, all of these types of things. And, and that's the problem that I think a lot of you know salespeople in our industry face is they just don't have a solution for people they already know. They say, I right. want to sign up with you. And they say, sorry, I don't have a good fit for you. That right. That's a killer yeah. for sales. That
1: is a killer. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I know I've had have several friends and relatives who have, you know, small businesses, really small businesses. And I've had the same thing. I've referred them to people that I know in the industry and some of them have been good about it. You know, some of them have been, Hey, here, I can set you up with appointment setting and, you know, for a hair salon, for example. But a lot of them are sort of like, you know, I go back to them a couple of weeks later and like, Oh, that was just too small for me. I didn't really want to deal with it. Like,
3: yeah, and
1: dude, small gets bigger.
3: <laughs> you know? I say it all the time. No million dollar a month account open their doors processing a million dollars a month right right they all started somewhere which was zero at one point in time right in you know small businesses grow and turn into bigger businesses so i'm not a believer in passing up those opportunities i think one of the reasons why a lot of people pass up on these opportunities is because they're afraid of the headaches that are associated with a smaller account sure right. But oftentimes that headache is, you know, them calling you about the fees. Why am I paying $10 for PCI, $10 for statement, so on and so forth. So I think, you know, you kind of kill two birds with one stone when you can eliminate the fees for these merchants because you eliminate the fee, of course, but you also eliminate a lot of the issues that they call you about later on and make those a, a, you know, less headache type merchant. Right.
1: That's a good
0: point. And, and maybe Dustin, you could uh, dive in a little bit deeper on the equipment side. So, you know, yeah. one of the other really big issues here is that yeah. most processors are telling the agents, well, we don't want that account. And we don't, we we don't want it so badly that we won't even give you a free, you know, Termo. Verifone terminal. We won't give you anything like nothing for this
2: one. Yeah. You know, we wouldn't even won't give even you give a, give a you dongle for the terminal. phone.
0: <laughs> yeah. Hey, like I won't. know, I know one company that literally was making the, the, um, these merchants they had to pay $75 to get the little dongle that goes on the phone. Oh my I'm God. like, Oh my gosh. Oh, like, yeah. Man. So, so talk to us about this. I mean, how are you guys handling the equipment situation?
3: We're not doing that. <laughs> I didn't think you would be. Uh, yeah. So, you know, uh, equipment, obviously, we handle like any other, you know, for the most part, we, we still provide these merchants with free placements. Again, it's to us about relationships. To, to me, when I was out selling, relationships were the most important thing. Now, I was maybe a little bit more granular than most people. I literally tracked metrics, like how many referrals I got per signed merchant, which was 2.1. So I knew for every signed merchant, I was going to sign 2.1 more businesses eventually. That could be over two right. years but they led uh-huh. to 2.1 more merchants. That was a small business or a big. So right. for me, it's about relationships. Um, so we still provide free equipment to these merchants. You know, for us, it's about getting them on board, just like any sale, right? Other companies have competing products that at times may be better, right? Square has some really attractive programs for certain merchants. That's always been true. And they're going to continue to get strong in, in areas that maybe they're not huge in today. Um, but they also have weaknesses. They also have, you know, things that, they can offer that we can like local support and, and everything that everyone listening to this already knows. Right. So right. overall, right. It's, it's about giving these merchants an easy solution. That's not going to break the bank. Um, that's going to work for them. And of course, you know, have somebody they can call when, and if they need someone.
0: Got it. Okay. So, um, so we talked about the equipment we talked about the fees. Um, we definitely need to talk about the residual, um, component here because, uh, you know, there's in many cases a disincentive as that we, we talked about it on the phone, you know, a lot of these agents literally sign one of these accounts and then their residual is negative $8. Yeah. So yeah. The, the primary reason for those of our audience maybe that doesn't isn't familiar with this would be number one, the Schedule A oftentimes does have Schedule A costs like a $5 on file fee or a $10 monthly cost. Um, and then in addition to that, um, you know, some companies will have like, hey, you can get this upfront bonus, but then we're going to take the first 10, 20, $30 of residual while these accounts are generating $9 of residual or
3: whatever. So so how are you dealing with the residual component so the agents don't go upside down on these deals? Yeah. So first, there is no negative scenario for them. Um, there is no scenario where they can go negative on these accounts whatsoever. And that's really important. That's that is important. important. Yeah. Yeah. No one wants to be in business to literally pay someone else to work with them right? I mean, that just makes no sense. And when you sign up a negative account, you're literally paying the process for them. So no negative situation from the start, right? And the reason for that is, you know, in granular level, our schedule A on these accounts has zero monthly costs. So if they don't process, they don't pay and the agent isn't paying for it. We are covering that on our end. And again, for us, it's about relationships. It's about business. It's about referrals. It's about positive merchant experiences to us that has more value than anything else. And so we will cover all of those costs on these accounts. As far as residuals, right? I'm, I'm not going to sit here and tell any of the listeners to go out and spend the next six months targeting merchants processing less than $5,000 a month, right? They're right. still micro merchants. They're not going to be what we would call money makers, but they can become those merchants. They can refer you to those merchants. Um, personal experience, one of my largest accounts that I signed when I was out selling almost nine years ago now came from a $10 a month account. True story. Um, it was his brother-in-law, and he referred me to him two years after he signed up with me. Hadn't heard from him in two years, and he called me out of the blue. So I'm a big believer, again, always in relationships first. Um, but it's always going to be a positive residual. Um, there's no negative scenario. And again, if the merchant's not processing, sure, it might be a $0 monthly residual. But once they're active and they're processing, you're just making money. So it's it's still just, you know, like any residual, going to continue to flow in positive.
0: Sure. Now, one last thing I do have to bring up here, just because I talk about it all the time and I know you're a believer in it, as well as cash discounting. Um, I would think, now I don't know because my my days of selling full time are over. Uh, but I would imagine that these micro merchants would really be excited about cash discounting. And it just so happens it's a really big weakness for Square. They don't want to do it, they don't want the publicity, so they don't, they're not offering it. Or they are, but it's, you know, it's not a big public thing for them. So what are you guys? I'm assuming you're offering these same programs. Talk about that a little bit.
3: Yeah, I love this topic. So to me, I think this is actually some sometimes maybe one of the biggest strengths of of not just you know micro merchants, but just in general having a program like this, which is sometimes you come across a business who is really hesitant to try cash discount, and by a by by offering them a solution where they can try it with no risk, no monthly cost, no equipment cost. Mm-hmm entirely month to month, you might just get them over that hurdle where they say, you know what, I'll try it for 30 days. It doesn't cost me anything if I don't use your machine, right? Mm -hmm. Right. No, it doesn't. And now you get that merchant to try it. They run two, three days worth of transactions. I go, okay, my customers are cool with this. I'm not having any issues. And before you know it, they're using your setup instead of the competitor, the bank or whoever they had there. So for, you know, micro merchants or otherwise, we find it to be just an incredible offering to have to get these merchants kind of over that hump. But of course, you know, cash discount has changed the profitability metrics. And now a merchant doing three or four thousand dollars a month in total, you know, volume may be worth as much as an account that used to do twenty or thirty thousand on on interchange. Mm-hmm. So again, it it just falls into that same equation of another reason why we should sign these merchants up.
0: Yeah, I like that. I hadn't really thought about that uh, with the larger ones. Now, how would that yeah. work? And we're getting into the weeds a little bit here, I guess. And, you know, we don't, have to, don't you don't have to give us too much specifics, but I'm just curious, like, yeah. I'm assuming you have like a different schedule, though, for like the larger accounts versus the small ones. Like, how, how does that work? Do agents go in and sign them up? And then once they get larger, they switch to a different schedule? Or can you give any insight on that?
3: Yeah, so, so it is a different comp plan, of course, right? We right. are taking a loss on these merchants if they don't process. So we are taking that risk on and taking on that, that liability from, a, from an account perspective, right? This merchant could be on our books for 10 years, never processed a dollar. We've meanwhile sent out a terminal and, and you know, taken that on. Right. So yeah, it is a different comp plan. But today, again, a lot of these partners don't have access to this at all. And right. they still have access to a normal schedule with us, right? It's not like Got it. Got you it. have this, you have nothing else, right? You get to right. choose where you want to put your accounts.
0: That's but actually overall, really cool, though. I like, but, but just to clarify, I like what you're saying, though. I think what I, if I hear what you're saying correctly, I think you're saying I might go into a business and they might be really hesitant about the cash discounting. Maybe they're doing a larger amount of volume, but I don't know if they're going to do any volume with me. So I do this starter account. And then if they actually start processing, I could then, I guess, like, what, switch them to the, my normal comp plan and my normal schedule and take on that.
3: We do have, we do have options. Exactly. Okay. Got and it. So this is a way to set up that relationship sure. and get things going. Um, I'll tell you another huge like advantage that. cool. is there are scenarios where merchants need multiple merchant accounts. Maybe it's a business with two locations mm. and a website, and that website's only going to process a tiny little bit. Right. We see agents all the time struggling to get the website up and running because the merchant doesn't want to pay an extra 15 bucks a month. Right. So all of these scenarios that can come up where you maybe need a merchant account without hefty monthly costs or any monthly cost is where it can come into play. It, it I think actually goes, you know, more, it's broader than just kind of that that individual hairstylist processing two thousand a month. There's so many more applications for it. Of course, that scenario being the most common, but really, it's it's a program where you know we believe in having the option for merchants to have an account with us, and no monthly cost to have it. Nothing negative to the agent. Hmm.
0: Yeah, I love it. Good stuff. Well, uh, I know we could go on talking about this for a long time, Dustin. It's always a pleasure having you on here. Before we have you jump off, though, I know a lot of our listeners are going to want to learn more about your programs in general and micro merchants um, specifically. So, where would you send them to learn more?
3: Yeah, you could either go to our website, right? Our, our website is gopaybright.com. Um, you could also email me; it's Dustin at gopaybright.com. Um, either of those will work, and of course, we'd be happy to answer any questions.
1: And of course, Dustin is very is very um, active on the facebook page
3: oh yeah yeah and our cc
0: sales pro community yeah dustin's probably one of the one of the highest (laughs) ranking executives that regularly helps our helps our community members so yeah we appreciate that as well we really
1: appreciate
3: that yeah i appreciate that
0: awesome well dustin thanks so much again for your time and your insights always a pleasure thanks so much have a great day you too So, Patty, one of the things I want to talk about as far as our sponsor, Valor Paytech, is their customer service suite or merchant service suite. Yeah. I, I guess you call it. It's hard to, you to say merchant right. services. Everybody thinks of something different. But sir, customer service for merchants. It's so cool because everything is in the cloud. And so a lot of agents don't really understand this. It's like when you think about the terminal, think about like when transactions are running during the day, that mm-hmm. those transactions like are actually trapped inside of that terminal until you settle the terminal. Right. This is why if the terminal gets like hit by lightning or unplugged or dumped you're, water on, you're,
1: yeah, you're fried.
0: You lost all those transactions. You can't right. get them uh, because so having it in the cloud
1: the then means you 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 don't run that risk anymore.
0: Exactly. So when that transaction runs, the whole batch is stored in the cloud, and so that nice. means the merchant yeah. can batch out from anywhere. But one of the other things it means is that you can handle merchant support a lot easier because you can remote into the terminal you can see what's happening in real time with the merchant and you know as an as an agent i don't know how many times it's been so annoying when like a merchant calls you have to drive out there you're just guessing on the phone when you work with valor paytech you have access to this incredible dashboard and you can actually see whether you're at the iso level or if your iso sets it up as an agent but you can actually you know see in there like are they connected to the internet You know, is there power to this device right now? Right, right. right, all of these things, or even the transaction was declined. Well, let's look at a decline code. Why was it declined? You know, Mm -hmm, all mm -hmm. kinds. So there's just tons of things like that that you can see. And I think having that visibility is really powerful when you're kind of designing your customer support, your merchant support uh, infrastructure.
1: Yeah, I really do. So um, if you haven't already, go to ccsalespro.com slash valor. Um, Check it out, get a uh, demo, ask them um, some of your piercing questions and uh, see what you think.
2: This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by ccsalespro.com, the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you're an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field with James Shepard.
0: So in this episode of uh, Questions from the Field, Patty, I wanna talk about vertical integration and like, what does it really take to kind of come in and dominate a particular vertical, uh, Mm -hmm. a particular business type? Right. Um, And, I think a lot of agents struggle unnecessarily with this because they just aren't prepared or don't understand the things that they need to do.
1: So to make that to to, to hone in on that particular version, yes. right? That is because it's different for hairdressers, say, versus pizza pollers and yes, what married. they need, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah.
0: So I think um and, and I'll even, you know. I'll give you a specific specific example. So I actually had um, lunch with some really good friends of mine. It's a couple that they got into the industry watching my videos. I referred them to a payment processor that they're still with. And recently I was at that processor's annual summit. And so I, I had lunch with them and was able to talk to them. Right. And, you know, they've been able to go after um, bars and primarily bars and, and, you know, restaurants. And they sell cash discounting. Mm-hmm. And without giving away any of their trade secrets, <laughs> um, they've gotten really, really good at it, and uh-huh. they, as a result, they make you know a, a really good living, um, and they're growing uh, doing this. So, and and again, their their retention is like, I mean, they lose businesses only when that business goes out of business.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I mean really and, and don't you think that the cash discounting plays a big role in that? I mean, once you're sort of on that program.
0: You know, yes and no. To, I mean, yes, but again, in their case, they're so tightly integrated with the point of sale system that okay, it would yeah, be very right. difficult. I think. I think the technology is actually playing a bigger role in the retention. Uh-huh. <clears throat> but then, of course, the cash discounting is playing a big role in their revenue and their profit. Their revenue
1: and and especially for verticals like bars and restaurants. I mean, the right. BOS integration is so important.
0: It's so important. So yeah. that's really what I want to talk about. So, okay. what I want to talk about here is many of you that are our listeners. If you're kind of stuck and you're like, you know, James, you, you and Patty are always talking about, you know, oh, ISV integration and vertical focus and all this, and I'm still like feet on the street, you know, what do I do? Right. Um, I just want to give you a little bit of a roadmap. You know, number one, my, my first piece of advice is keep doing exactly what you're doing most of the time, you know? Right. I don't advise that, you know, oh, I'm just going to switch and I'm going to go all in on, you know, hair salons. That's all I'm going to sell. That's not a good right. idea.
3: Yeah, um, right, right.
0: Because you're not going to be very good at it initially. Just sorry to tell you that, but you're really right. not. Um, so that's a bad idea. Um, so I like the 80-20 rule. You know, I really believe you should always be spending 20% of your time on things that are future focused. Right. You know, and we were talking right before we recorded this podcast. We, we started recording a little late because I was talking to Patty and Dustin about something I'm working on right now. Right, um, right. That's totally different than anything I have. And maybe that'll come to fruition. Maybe it won't. But I'm spending a small percentage of my time on it, probably about 5% of my time on that particular deal. And I have several deals like that in the works. Um, one of them will work out well for me, and it will slowly take a greater and greater percentage of my time. Um, you know, when I think about ISOAMP, you know, our statement that's analysis. was just automation. gonna
1: say, that was just what I was gonna say. Yes. When you started off ISOAMP, it was like five or 10% of your time. Yes. And then as it grew, it got to like 130% more.
0: of my time. Right, right. <laughs> um, I
1: wasn't going to say that, but
0: you said it. <laughs> yeah, Now we're back down to like 25 or 30. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, uh, you know, but that was something where I had several things going and then it was like, Hey, kind of all the stars are aligning here. And this is, you know, the automation is there, the image recognition technology is there. Let's do this. So in the same way as an agent or an ISO, keep doing what you're doing 80% of the time, but take 20% and, Think about, okay, what's a vertical that I, I connect with that I like where maybe um, there's some opportunity? And then what you do is you take time to prepare to sell that vertical. You'll notice in the interview we did last week with Donnie Troy, and you can tell the intentionality that as he talks about, right, well, I got my terminal provider in place. And, you know, it's like you got to take a step back and say, okay, hold on a minute. So what am I going to sell? You know, let's say it's a hair salon. Okay. What am I going to sell a small hair salon? Maybe a micro merchant like we just talked to Dustin about. So you're thinking about that. And then you're like, okay, what about a, you know, medium-sized hair salon? What about a big hair salon? What if I get a multiple location hair salon that wants things, you know, go and, you know, go online or, you know, go somewhere. Get get the last, you know, six editions of several industry magazines for hair salons and read those. Mm -hmm. You know, look and see what are the other vendors out there that are competing with me. Right. Um, Check out the ads, you know. Right. Um, right. One of my favorite things to do when I'm when I'm looking at something like this is I will go out in the field. I actually did this not too long ago. Um, I should have talked about it on the podcast. Maybe it was eight months ago, but I was doing a totally different thing. I won't talk about now, but it was dealing with a specific vertical and and with my technolo- one of my technology companies. And um, I personally went walked into about fifteen businesses in my area driving around. Right. I wasn't even. I literally didn't have anything to sell them. I don't sell payment processing personally. I you know I work through all my consulting clients to do that. So I went out in the field and I just walked in and said, you know, introduce myself. Hey, my name is James Shepard. I'm working on starting a new business. It's a technology company. And here's what we're talking about doing. And I just wanted to see if you give me your opinion. What do you think about that? Mm -hmm. That's something that you need, you know? So, you know, say it's again, it's hair salons is the example we're using. I would go to 20 hair salons and just say, Look, I'm not here to sell you anything. I'm I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a business owner, just like you, small business owner. And I haven't even started my business yet. It's going to be a couple of months. Um, but I'm just curious. When it comes to payment processing, what are the pain points? You do you have a point of sale system? Are you doing appointment scheduling? How are people making payments? Like, mm-hmm. does any of that matter to you? Right. Do you even care right. about that? Right. Mm-hmm. So you know you could even do it on the phone, and you could call places and do that. So doing the survey approach, get some information. Right. Then again, you take that time to say, okay, so. I know which vertical I want to go after. I've talked to a bunch of them again, at least 10 or 20 that you want to talk to before you even do anything else. Not even selling anything. You're just talking to them. And then you're like, okay, so now I know what they want. Now you go and find your technology solutions and you line That, that that up.
1: meets those, yeah, sure. Right.
0: Get your demo units, play with them, right? So this whole process is taking, you know, 30, maybe 60 days. Mm -hmm. And you're just spending 20% of your time on this. And you're focused on maybe 10% of your time initially, whatever it is, spending some time on it. And then eventually, like, you know what, I think I've got everything in place. Now, you're and and again, saying you have everything in place, that's going to mean reaching out to the point of sale company, right? And saying, hey, you know what, if I'm going to sell for you guys, I need to have this specific like non cash adjustment here. I need this language. I need whatever. Right. Right, And maybe they say, well, we're not willing to do that. Okay. Mind somebody else. Right. So you're, you're, you're getting everything lined up and you have to deal with these people. You have to make these phone calls. You have to talk to people. You have to communicate. And so get it all lined up. Then take that 20% that you were spending, getting everything ready. Now that 20% is prospecting time for this new venture. Right. Right. You go out, sign some people up, get 10, 20 accounts under your belt, Then go from 20% of your time to 30, 40, 50, and eventually it could take over what you're doing and you could really be, you know, you could really dominate that niche um, and, you know, have a lot of leverage in that particular vertical in your market. Um, So
1: you're you're talking about taking a phased approach to implementation.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Don't just jump
1: in with both feet. You got to sort of scope out the, the yeah. market.
0: Yeah. yeah, because, you know, the truth is a lot of times, you know, I would say and, and, you know, my wife, Christina, would definitely back me up here. You know, I would say the vast majority of my ideas are terrible. Um, <laughs> unfortunately for me, they, they all sound fantastic. Right. You know what I mean? When I have an right. idea, I can present it. And it's like, wow, that sounds great. And one thing I, I learned early on as an entrepreneur and a salesperson, we are very good at selling people on our ideas. And that's good. That's what that's a strength, but it's also a weakness too, because you get this kind of confirmation bias where everybody's like, well, that sounds like a great idea. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. there's only one way for you to actually know if it's a good idea, and that is to do it. Right. So you don't want to like empty your current pipeline and just forget about everything you're doing so you can see if this idea works. That's a really bad idea because it right. your idea might not be good and you may have false assumptions. And there's a lot of times where um, I mean, I remember so many times. Oh, my goodness. So many times. I remember one time I was going after chiropractors. This is long. This is like eight years ago. Uh-huh. And I was convinced like I have this is the dream solution for chiropractors. Like this is it. You know, I'm going to sell all of them, you know. Right. And I got out there and, and even my initial conversation I had with people was pretty good, you know. But then I actually got out there and tried to sell it. I mean, I think I sold maybe two. Wow. And it turned out that the solution I had, they all liked the sound of it. And they were all like, ooh, that sounds cool. But when I was actually like, you got to sign up for this, they had other things and they had other like insurance concerns and all these other things. And it like mm-hmm. stuff I just didn't even think of. Right, and it was sure. like a total flop. And fortunately, it was just something I was trying. And I was actually still selling accounts and building my team of agents and doing all the stuff I normally would do. Mm-hmm. But you got to get out there and do it. So anyway, my advice is, Take a phased approach, as you said, Patty. It's like spend 20% of your time, actually get things ready, test the waters, go talk to people, get some interaction, and then understand your idea is not a proven idea until you prove it. it doesn't matter if everybody right. thinks it sounds good. When you right. actually get customers to sign up, you know you have and a and good You idea. know you have a
1: winner. Yeah, yep. exactly. Good stuff, James. Thanks.
2: Thank you. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For nearly 40 years the green sheet has been the go-to source for news analysis and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals if you're not reading the green sheet already check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com so you know james
1: um jd power the company that brought us uh, rankings for best cars for dependability and so forth right, right. has uh, now has an award for best payment processor for small businesses. Okay. Um, I think I, this company started this about four years ago. I think I might've brought in the ratings maybe the second year, but I decided I wanted to kind of let it sit for a while until they got more experience and sure, you know, a bigger pool. So I went back to them this year and discovered that, um, B of A was their top ranker. And in fact, six of the top rated processors, top 10, I believe, are all banks, which is reversing that trend um, that we, that they, their early trend that they seemed to um, uncover was a lot of fintech, you know, a lot more, um, a lot more um, customer ISV? satisfaction.
0: Oh, right, right. Hi, a better customer experience with an ISV versus with a bank.
1: Right. Right. So anyway, the company starts off the ranking processor with the Straw Hacker Group's um, annual um, acquirer rankings. Okay. And they hone in on the top 20. Then they go out and they survey thousands of small businesses on satisfaction with various aspects of the processing relationships. This year, there were over, 44, over forty four, just over 4,400. And key trends that came through, uh, clearly, according to Paul McAdam, who oversaw the study, are the payment processors have really stepped up their games during the past year, uh, with big banks leading the way towards uh, a significant surge in merchant satisfaction. Overall satisfaction with merchant services providers rose 23 points. It's on a scale of 1,000, and it was 863 versus 840 last year. Um, with the top providers, B of A and Chase, seeing increases of 45 and 35 points, respectively, which is, you know, pretty significant. Right. Uh, J.D. Power said it also saw significant satisfaction gains with cost in, in the areas of cost and customer interactions. Hmm. Um, you know, McAdam told me that uh, many of the merchants reported their processing processors, for example, waiving fees, um, you know, due to COVID concerns and, you know, yeah, like so sure. we talked about, cutting kind of some of the junk fees, or mm-hmm. and um, in fact, nearly three fourths of businesses said their provider took at least one proactive step in response to challenges posed by the pandemic, which translated to a seventy one point increase in satisfaction for cost of service. Mm. Um, some specific actions, of course, are uh, discounted products and services, updated fraud controls, faster funding. I thought what was really interesting was. Um, the faster funding, nearly two thirds of the, of the merchants queried say car payments are being settled or posted on a same day or next day basis. Much of that, of course, is for a fee, but merchants feel it's worth the extra money to get their money faster. Sure. So anyway, here's the top 16 acquirers in terms of customer satisfaction. Okay. B of A, Chase Merchant Services, Square, PayPal, Wells Fargo. Stripe, Elevon, Global, North American Bancard, Shopify, Fiserv at number 11, Evo Payments, PNC Merchant Services, Intuit QuickBooks at 14, number 15 was FIS, and number 16 was Paysafe. Now, it's worth noting that these overall satisfaction rates, like for NAB and Global, Fiserv, FIS, reflect the corporate results meaning they include the various sub-brands you know like Heart, heartland and clover and worldpay and it's also worth noting that the two banks listed wells fargo are two of the banks listed wells fargo and um, pnc um, are part of um fiveserve you know they're, they're some of those
0: original right. first
1: data cooperative partnerships sure i know. would
0: imagine a lot of it was you know kind of the perception of the merchant in terms of who they process with. Exactly. Right. If they said I process with Wells Fargo, then they would put that with Wells Fargo. If they said I process with FIS, you know, yeah.
1: Right. Right. And some of them might've even been saying I process with first data. Right. I would imagine. Yeah, Yeah. I would imagine. But I thought that, you know, I thought these rankings were kind of, you know, like I said, I, I wanted to give it a few years before I started broaching it with our people, but you know, there's some interesting stuff there.
0: There is. I mean, and then actually, as you're saying, the rankings, nothing about that list surprised me that much. The only Sounds thing that surprised
1: about me right. was Fiserv being da- and FIS being down as low as they were.
0: That surprised you?
1: It surprised me, yeah. Oh. Only because, and again, it may, have be, it may be that I kind of look at it from the partnership perspective, you know, the Chase and the Wells. Right, right. Which, uh, not Chase, excuse me, Um, PNC and Wells. You know, which are definitely up there. And I guess that's when I look at things like Fiserv, I don't necessarily think of it in terms of Clover. I think of it in terms of like the legacy relationships.
0: Sure. Well, I think what's important to realize, too, though, is, you know, these 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 different business models, you know, when you talk about, you know, Chase and these others, I mean, they don't have the big independent sales channel anymore. Right. Right, and so they have total control over the merchant experience. Right, you know, and 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 you know, from beginning to end. So whereas right. you think of and that makes somebody, a huge difference. It does. I mean, like yeah. what's impressive to me is you think about a North American bank card actually that was up that high. What's right. impressive about that to me is you know their agents are ultimately setting the pricing. Right, and then they are forced to deal with that. Right. And and they don't have total control. The agents will go back and stuff. So again, there's that that goes to show there's are there are a lot of independent agents and isos that are fantastic that are doing a great job. Right. Same with the other ones that are ranking higher there. But of course, I think it's it's, you know, apples and oranges a bit to compare some of these companies that are largely based on individual independent agent channels versus these
1: versus in-house.
0: Yeah. in-house. you look at a square or a stripe. Right. Or again, or even a chase. They, they have total control over the merchant experience. So right. I think they're going to have a much easier time. But I think it's impressive that our industry is, you know, I, I, I will say I think it's very impressive the way our industry responded to COVID.
1: Yes, I um, do, too.
0: I think, I think there was I, I, incredible. I, I know a lot of people where I was actually surprised to be honest. I mean, there was, there was a bunch where I'd reach out friends of mine in the industry that are telling me, yeah, we, we actually, you know, one of them, one of them had an annual fee that was supposed to come out uh, in February or March, whenever the, the real, everything when was it, really, when going it really nuts.
1: blew up. Yeah. yeah,
0: And right. they waived that. And I mean, I, when I say they waived that, I'm talking about, they, that was like a couple of million dollars that they lost right. in potential revenue. That was impressive. But and the so, goodwill
1: was out there. It to was bringing
0: the future. It was, yes. yeah, and I, I think that did help our industry as a whole. So that's exciting. And,
1: and I agree with you. I think you know, ten or fifteen years ago, you might not have seen that. Right, right,
0: right. So, yeah, good stuff. Definitely keep us posted on that one. But that's that's very interesting.
1: Thanks, James.
2: Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive